Hello, everyone, and welcome to an episode of Coffee and Crits. I am your host, Aaron Washington, and unfortunately today I do not have my co-hosts with me. It's okay, you know, uh, decisions, life, all that kind of good stuff happens. So I'm going to try to do an episode today, and hopefully it'll be better than my first solo episode. Uh, Particularly better because this time I have a script. So, uh, first, uh, let's talk about the coffee I'm drinking. Uh, I went with... uh, Pete's again. Um, last time we were talking, we talked about how uh, the brew was a little um, too strong. So I tried, uh, you know, my usual method. I don't know how many scoops they actually put in it the first time. I'll have to ask them. But so I brewed it just my normal way and we'll see how that goes. So as you know, we are talking about characters. We're talking about backgrounds. We're talking about your campaign. And so, uh, not trying to do one of the main topics, but I thought I would kind of be a little bit more general. So today, I just want to discuss some of the tips that I use, some of the things that go through my mind as I run as a DM, uh, things that I look at as a player, you know, because when I'm a player in other games, I tend to like to watch my DM, their methods to their madness. And there are a lot of times where someone does something like, I really like how that was done. I'm going to do that for now on, and I would encourage every uh, player who wants to become a DM or anything like that to, if something really works well in a game, uh, yeah, use it. Um, You know, uh, I used to do initiative just kind of like round robin, and I'd have to kind of write everyone's initiative and then rework the sheet. Then uh, I watched Critical Role one day, and I saw how Mercer did it from the highest to the lowest, just calling out the number. So I started doing it that way. Until I start using initiative cards. And so across my screen, I just lay out the initiative cards as they give it to me. And I just keep putting them in the order. So, you know, methods change. Uh, methodology changes as you go. You know, it's it's an experience that uh, keeps growing as a DM. Uh, I would also like to just say that it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to mess up. Because as you go, you learn you learn more, and you know, we're all just people, we're all trying to have a good time, and nothing has to be perfect. So, let's get into it. What are my things I would tell a DM to think about when he's about to run a game? Uh, what is something I would tell a first-time DM, or just a DM in general? Communication. Uh, we talk about it often, all the time. Uh, communication. Uh, talking with your players. Uh, knowing what kind of game they want, knowing their play styles, uh, the kind of ideas, you know, you give them your world, what you've kind of built on, or you're running the book, and you've kind of given them the idea of the setting, and just kind of listen to the things that they may expect from this game. You, They may be just online to what you're going to give, or they may be vastly different than what you might expect. Maybe someone is expecting more of intrigue, and this is more of a, you know, Diablo beat em up loot kind of game, you know, but that doesn't mean that, you know, they wouldn't enjoy it, or you can't add those elements, but actually asking them what they want could definitely help with the overall experience, uh, asking the experience of your players, oh, this person's played role-play games for about 15, 20 years, well, his me- his playing style is going to be a little bit different than someone who's only played like a few games of 5th edition, oh, this person's played Pathfinder, 
Okay, well, that also is a different kind of play style, so different kind of loot styles, a different kind of items and resources, and the way you use and build resources is very different from 5th edition. So those kinds of things will come into different effects. Know the experience of your players, and that'll kind of help you in the future when you develop scenarios and things like that. Also, I would like to just say we should just keep an open mind. Uh, when you build a world, uh, you take all this time and you, and you nurture this, this creation of yours. You, you draw your maps. You think about the people, the places. In your mind, you dream about the really awesome moments as you're going to describe them. You're excited about when they finally realize he's the villain. And it gets, you know, you're so hyped up on it that sometimes things that kind of are contrary to this picture you have in your mind... You may just want to outright change or throw out, but I would say that you should keep an open mind because the more open you are to your story, not saying you change everything, but the more you are willing to adjust and for your players, you find that they get those same goosebumps and feelings as you do when they're in your world because you're not just doing this for you. You may love the world, but you're doing it so they can be a part of it and enjoy the thing you created. So you have to be open enough to let them be a part of that world, you know, on some aerial tip, and be a part of that world so that that way they'll be more immersed in it. They have an idea or their background incorporates another people or something like that. It may not be such a big deal to add those things so they feel like this is their world too. And you'll find out that when events happen that affect that world, it'll be much more personal to them. Uh, it also with those in the same sense it goes back to like uh, players with goals that we talked about uh, it doesn't necessarily a bad thing if players want things or they have goals as long as those don't derail the campaign and it's something that they do on the side uh, free time downtime oh well you know I want to learn how to do this or I want to start to develop this kind of skill it's okay to let that happen but you have to be open-minded about it. Moving on is, you know, now we're talking about story, uh, by the script or not. It's okay if the script gets broken. Uh, I know that sounds crazy, but there are a lot of times where when I run, I have this kind of uh, script in mind, a very loose, PCs find this, they discover this, from here they can go to here. And they may take a different route to it. They may not go straight to investigate they may go to a magistrate first in the game i'm currently playing when we were fighting and dealing with this cult it was time to go root them out and i decided that i would go to the city officials and i would ask for guards to be posted on streets and things to stop them from escaping i incorporated the system of law that was already established in the city to help us accomplish our mission Granted, our DM, Chris, he, you know, he kind of just expected us to go in, but he was open-minded enough about this technically wasn't on the page, but to quickly make those people I can interact with and to let me make those roles and those discussions to see if I could get these cities aid in our situation, which turned out to be a huge help. So it's okay. With that, there's also that derailing threat. And I would say this, um, I've had players want to do something that had nothing to do with the game. Uh, or the story at hand and they were just kind of adamant about doing it and there are times where I'll kind of do a very overall okay so you went here this is what you discover 
this is kind of what happens, and this is what you get out of it, and then I pull them back in. I've had that happen. Then I've had some players that just kind of keep wanting to do that. And what I usually do is I'll just say, hey, we probably should get back on it. You know, you've already done this and this and this. And, you know, I'll just talk to them. And it usually works out in my favor. Now, I've had players who are constantly derail or constantly try to actively, well, this is the thing we should do next. Well, let's not do that. Let's go do this instead. Well, this is the thing we have to do. Well, I don't want to do that. I want to do this instead. And so I'll genuinely tell them, like, I mean, I don't want to, your character very much so can leave the group and do this. But I'm probably going to spend more of my time with the majority of the party who are together doing the storyline than you out here. I don't want you just sitting at the table not doing anything. If you are okay with that as long as your mission is accomplished, then that's okay with me. And I've had some times where the player was like, yeah, no, that's actually perfectly fine as long as I get to do this thing. And we've role-played it out. There are times where I've taken a player who did something completely different from everyone else and before a game, I asked him to come a little early and we role played out everything he did. And he did this whole little infiltration thing himself. And when he came back to the party, he came back in. So there are times where those things can lead to really good opportunities. But you also have to be able to say, OK, you know, this is the line I'm going to have to, you know, draw because I really want to keep things together because you don't want the game to start falling apart. When we have a big boss and we have a, a villain, a villainous villain who does villainy, there's this feeling that you want the party to understand his strength, know that he's as, as, as bad A as you created him, know that he is the formidable opponent that he should be. He is a threat. And there are some times where your party just trounces them. Uh, I've had this happen more than once. Um, it, it wasn't like a, a, an imbalanced thing or he was too weak or they were too strong, even though that can very much happen. It has happened to me, but I've had legitimate times where the fight is straightforward. He's strong. They're at appropriate level. And just the way actions roll out, dice roll and events happen, they dominate. They, they completely dominate the villain. The villain is completely and utterly destroyed. He, he can't get up or come back from wherever they had placed him and you know it just kind of happens and and i allow them to relish in that kind of victory because i think it's worth it when they plan and go out but i understand how a dm feels when this kind of boss fight becomes lackluster and then you start like adding abilities and things like that to him to keep him in there and to keep the fight going while i understand that those kind of improvs can help make a fight interesting I also just would emphasize caution because you don't want your players to feel like, oh, we beat him, so he did this. Oh, we stopped him, so obviously he just got this thing magically. This improbable thing just kind of happened so he could keep up with us. You don't want anything like that to happen because that kind of reflects on your game. It kind of, you know, you know. You don't want that because a DM has certain trust with his with his players. There are times where you make an encounter, and I've done this in a game where they fight an encounter that isn't meant to be won. And those can be tricky too because, you know, some t- players don't retreat or understand or feel the concept. I try to lay it in words through the descriptions and the, word, and the role play that this is not the situation to finish this fight. This is a time to come back and learn and come back 
but there are definitely times that things like that can lead to TPKs. Maybe you've been the DM or the player. Um, but at the same time, I don't think it's wrong to allow your villain to be trounced. I mean, that's just the kind of way it plays out sometimes. And I think that's okay because there will be a time when the opposite will happen. Like you'll a, a random party will dominate your players and it'll be really rough and they'll be running with their tail between their legs, licking their wounds. So it kind of happens back and forth. You just kind of have to accept those blows as they come. Um, Because what you don't want to be is an adversary type DM. You don't want to feel like it's you versus them. You don't want your players to feel that it's your, that they're fighting against your world. They're in your world. They're not playing against it. And that is a line you have to draw. I've played in games where I felt like, man, this place, this world is just against us. Not that this is a world and then the things in it or the opposition is against us, but this entire world is against me as a player to succeed. It is hindering me in whatever ways it wants for me to succeed. And that's not what you want to feel as a player. It's uh, it's not it's not it's not satisfying. And there are times where you know it. You don't want your players to leave a table feeling like, well, yeah, that was impossible. That's not the kind of vibe you want. Which you know sometimes you'll make a normal encounter and they'll still they'll still say it. But as I digress, um, so. When it comes to your players, uh, another thing I like to do is uh, when I do a story, I like to let everyone get a chance at the spotlight. I know I'm jumping around a lot. It's just kind of like what I wrote down some notes on my top of my head. And so you have your set of players. They have their backgrounds. And I try to give everyone that chance to be that leading lady or that leading man with different kinds of situations as they travel and uh, there are oftentimes where when I have a party of people, I have things that maybe retains to their backstory or something that they're passionate about that they can kind of get to resolve in a story arc or, or resolve in a campaign. Oh, you know, I lost my family through this and this and this. You may meet the raider who did it or, oh, you know. I'm a bastard of a noble. Well, you might actually get to confront them. I I try to allow those events to be meaningful so that everyone has a chance to kind of be that spotlight person and everyone gets a chance to be that main character-ish in a game. Now, you do have certain players who, you know, just want to roll dice and kill stuff, and that's perfectly okay. Let it be a time where they can roll dice and kill something really awesome. Uh, you have some people who want like that deep intrigue. Give them a chance to get some of that in, you know. Maybe you have a character person who just wants to be the best warrior ever, and when it comes down to intrigue, he's just not about it. So what do you do when you have both of those kind of people at your table? I would suggest trying to come up with a scenario that everyone kind of gets their, their their turn in the light. Maybe the Council of Nobles... Uh, you can't see them. So that character who wants to have these discussions and sow seeds of intrigue really can't reach them right now and have that discussion he wants to have. But maybe there's a Coliseum tournament and the sponsor of their said champion gets to seat in the nobles depending on how well he does. So what does that mean? That means your hardened fighter gets to participate in the competition 
and your bard noble who likes the intrigue in the game gets to be his sponsor so now while one is doing the thing they love the other one is doing the thing they love they're now more concerned about what happens to each other's thing so the intrigue bard is now he's he's paying attention to this fight his fighter needs to win his fighter needs to win so he has a little bit more clout now the fighter now he wants to pay attention to what's happening in the stance he's just won his battle it looks like this bard now is able to set him up with a different opponent this different opponent gives him another challenge he gets to move his way up so he can fight the, the tournament champion but he can't do that unless the tournament champion sponsor noble agrees so now you have two people who like two different parts are working together in the same role play because your story your situation has now incorporated both of them together for a common interest and that's kind of what we have to do with a lot of these characters common interest so that is another really good point make sure that you make enough of those so that these people can work with cohesion and let you know your players know what you kind of expect from them if they are a, a band of wary heroes then let them know that so no one makes the necromancer warlock that uh likes to go in alleys and use people for his crazy experiments if everyone else is a team of good of good guys it's just something that you can do as a dm to kind of make things go smoother for yourself here's another thing it's just something that uh i came up when i was listening to another video and that was house rules house rules some of us have them some of us don't now i do think there's a difference between house rules and then rulings that you may do in game on the fly there are times where something is going on and there are events that are happening behind your screen there are things that they are doing on the table and sometimes a rule may say this and this goes like this but little do they know what's going on behind your screen so sometimes you have to make a ruling sometimes you have to tell them well it was working but something happened or maybe you have to tell them this was this thing but now it's something else there are times as you're playing where those kinds of things can help add to the story wait i used to tech magic it seems that this is hidden from that kind of divination which actually isn't a really strange thing because of noxagal's magical lore but the whole city you can't sense any magic that's interesting you see you've changed things up you've done rulings in your game and in your world that affect everyone else now house rules are something different these are things that need to be established in your game when the game starts when everything kind of goes on hey guys here are some rules that i do flanking grants advantage flanking does not grant advantage whether you use certain tables you use a success table you use a critical fumble table whether you use those or not i'm personally up in the air about those but i've seen them be okay and some just kind of seem outright punishing but that's how those go and what's happened at your table doesn't mean it's not the wrong thing either ties go to attackers oh you rolled their ac on the dot you hit oh you rolled their ac on the dot you barely miss you have to beat their ac to hit them not just meet it that's also something as a house rule necromancy if it reduces your hp to zero you automatically fail a death save or you automatically fail two death saves or you straight die 
Those are the kind of things that you have to let your players know up front. Necromancy, in my world in particular, if it's the thing that drops you to zero, then you have less saves because necromancy literally is stealing your life and it's the thing that reduced you. And that's just something that I personally do. Um, has it come into serious effect? Uh, sometimes it's been a, a danger. Sometimes it hasn't. But that's just kind of way the game works sometimes. Uh, what you must consider with house rules is that you have to be open and honest and upfront. If you do not like spellcasters, so you've made a house rule that punishes them or you've reduced their spell slots and things, don't wait till your fifth level wizard comes to your table and starts casting spells and he's like, well, how many of those do you use? I'm on my second. Well, you're out. Why? Because in my game, casters can only cast one level once. That's not something you would tell them before. That's something you should say up front. Not saying that to, that sounds actually really insane. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds really insane. Not saying don't do that. That sounds like a terrible rule. That sounds so bad. Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Don't listen to me ramble on and be like, well, I heard this house rule where you can only... Please don't. House rules just need to be established up front so everyone understands. Everyone knows. If something is different in your world, fundamentally game different, is fundamentally rule different, then you should tell your players up front. And there are some times when you make a ruling because it hasn't appeared yet. Well, this and this rule. Well, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, it's in the book, but it doesn't make sense. And these are the reasons why it's not going to be in my game. And, you know, That'll give that player, you know, you guys could talk about out of game and maybe find some happy medium. Or maybe the game, it gets changed because you have to do those kinds of things. What other uh, things can I tell you guys? Well, uh, once you make those rules, of course, you stick to them. Don't don't switch up midway. It's just poor form, man. Just, just poor form. What else would I uh, suggest for you guys? Well, homebrewing. Well, as a person who, who loves it. Uh, don't be afraid to, but understand that when it comes to homebrewing, sometimes less is more. It is easier to start a thing off just a little under what you think it should be and then bump it up than it is to have it really high powered and then have to dial it back. Um, some players are really cool with it. Some players aren't really cool with it, but just for the safety net, I always try to do, well, this looks reasonable. And then if it's too much, I'll pull it back or, or, but just let your players know when you're, okay, so this item I've never made before, this item is homebrewed, uh, this is what it does now, this is what it is, I, honestly, I don't know how this is going to fit with all the abilities, I may have to dial it back, and just be upfront with them, let them know, don't just have it like explode into dust because you realize it was too powerful, I mean, you wake up and it turns to ash, <sighs> I've had that happen. It wasn't the best. It, it just it didn't feel good. It didn't it didn't feel good at all. Uh, what else would I suggest? Well, when you're writing a story and you have your agenda and you have your your, your setting and you have your your villains and you have all of this and then your players come in and they start doing things. They start affecting the story. Um, don't feel like. They constantly have to have their backs to the wall. You know, it's okay to let them get those moments of triumph. Um, I would just, it kind of goes back to adversarial kind of running. Like, you're not, you're out 
the characters are out to get them, but doesn't necessarily mean that you're out to, to get them. And I think it's important to understand that that difference. I understand that some players just kind of do crazy things, and sometimes you have to, you know, let them see the consequences. A lot of DMs like to use, like, yeah, I punished him for that. But it's not really punishment to me more as it is letting them realize that actions have consequences. If you're playing a character and you are a rogue and you break into a home and you're trying to steal some armor and the house ends up on fire and people are hurt, there should be some sort of investigation. There should be some consequences if you were sloppy, you know, or there, you know, and if your world has people who can do those kinds of things, then there it is. Um, I also am a firm believer of uh, natural 20s and natural ones uh, tend to, well, natural ones tend to go off in ridiculous fashion sometimes. Uh, natural one, if during a conversation is a fail, but doesn't mean you start fumbling over your words. It's just that your words are ringing hollow or you, you sound false or you sound fake. You came out sincere. You came out a little too strong. But a natural 20 does not make a greedy warlord give up his crown. And I think that's a weird conception that we have at the table that a natural 20 can do anything. It is a critical success as a role, yes. But does that mean it is a critical success in your story? It could mean that something that was impossible doesn't have an adverse effect for attempting. You can't lift this. You can't move this. This is You can't stop from happening. Well, I rolled a natural 20. Well, you feel the strain against your body. And luckily, you're able to move out of the way before anything is broken. So... You know, a lot of times, you know, someone will attempt something crazy and they will and they'll roll a die and then it'll be a natural 20. And everyone will look at you like, make the magic happen. But if it's in your rules where this is just not a thing, it's not a thing. It, it can't happen. So it's okay. And everyone doesn't have to fantastically explode in someone's face in such a way that they like lose limbs or become like crippled or emotionally scarred for life. Failures and, and successes are just a part of the game. They are the measuring stick in which we, we measure how the progress of our characters. So, you know, don't feel like you have to do something super extra. If the situation calls for it and it's already being succeeded and he's doing something amazing and then he rolls that crit, it's okay to spice it up and make it a little extra, you know, tasty in, in the role play. But... You know, it doesn't mean the impossible is possible unless there's something else going on in your game. It's just kind of how it is. Last but not least, I would just like to say you guys need to just have fun. Uh, as a DM, if you're DMing, think about what, why you're doing it. You're doing it so everyone at the table can have a good time. I don't get nearly as much satisfaction. I don't get satisfaction from TPKs. I don't get satisfaction from when I wipe a party. I just, I don't, I don't, it's not fun to me. I mean, it happens. I don't stop it, you know, if it's one of those things where it's kind of inevitable. But at the same time, I think that as a DM, the most pleasure I get is from the look of someone who just looks satisfied. Like, the, oh, that was good. Or, oh my goodness, that was crazy. Or they do something and they complete a task that seemed improbable and through the story they've accomplished it. You know, those are the moments that I live for. Those games where 
I get to tell them something about themselves that they didn't know that I had been holding for so long. They hear the information. The look of them is, are you serious? Is that what that is? Or is that what's going on? And then those moments are, man, I hold them like gems in my pocket, man. Those are, those are what makes being a DM makes being a DM just the most wonderful thing. Uh, I really can't just express anymore about how much I love those moments. I mean, they're, they're the best. They're the absolute best. Um, I run because I want those to happen. I want my players to walk away from the table like, I can't wait for next week. And you don't always get that kind of session like that. And sometimes a session is a little drab. And sometimes you're going to have your ups and your downs. You can't make everything as exciting as everything else was because, you know, climaxes are climaxes for a reason. They're the, they're the high point. But there are things you can do to just make a game enjoyable. And that's your goal. Have fun, both of you. Everyone, as a player, have fun. As a DM, have fun. You know, those are just a few of my thoughts. Um, I'll probably do this again just with some different things I was thinking about. But these are just some few things that were on my mind uh, just at the time. Probably because I'm about to run my uh, run my game today. So those are just, you know, those kind of things that always kind of go through my head. Like, what can I do? Um, after rebrewing the coffee, it's still has a bite to it like I I brewed it definitely a little cooler a little less than I think it was before but it still has a a little ha to it um I'm gonna give this coffee a 12 uh I'm gonna try to brew it even a little lighter and see if that helps but I don't think I think this I think this coffee just has a bite um uh, to it, and there's really nothing to be done about it because I like right now I'm I can taste it as I'm talking. I can I'm literally tasting the after bits of this coffee in the back of my throat, and it's it's not it's not it's it's not horrible, but you know I'm I'm not a big fan of a uh, lingering aftertaste like this, so that's why I'll just kind of give it a twelve. I'll give it an eleven, an eleven, definitely eleven. So there's my solo show, guys. Uh, thank you for being patient with us. Uh, we're still working on getting better audio equipment um also i just want to say again that uh apologies you know work uh some of the guys just you know events life things like that you know our normal meetup day to do these recordings have just been constantly and constantly having things go down but we will be recording again. I'm going to probably get some extra guys to come in and do some podcasts with me so I can get some more stuff up and some more content up for you guys who've been just faithfully listening. Uh, once again, as always, I want to thank my Patreon supporters, uh, Don and Tanner. Thank you guys for helping me do this. I super appreciate you. Um, continue to share us. Thanks, guys, for listening. You can follow us at DMworld at 9029 on Facebook, and you can follow us on Twitter, DMWorld9029. Please listen to us again. Hope you enjoy. Remember, guys, the quest never ends.